Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When did you decide, I want to leave New England and I want to go to a new team? I don't think there was a final, final decision, you know, until it happened. But I would say... I probably knew before the start of last season that it was my last year. You know, I, I, I knew that, you know, it was just our time was, you know, it's, you know, our time was, was coming to an end. Our time for Thursday coming to a beginning Pro Football Talk Live for a couple of hours. And thank you, Howard Stern. Thank you, Tom Brady for giving us plenty to talk about in a world devoid of sports. Chris Sims, Mike Florio here with you two weeks away from the 2020 draft. So that gives us something to talk about over the next 14 days and beyond. Good morning, Chris. Chris, something's happened at your house. You look different. The wife had enough of the other room, so we've changed that. We're out of there. No more couch behind us. She didn't like the setup, so... I'm in a little side office room right now, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. How do I sound? Does it sound okay? Everything good? No. No, you sound horrible. Is Bentley in the room with you? No, not right now. He is not. He's outside the door, actually, behind me. So is Bentley going to try to get in the room, or is he banned from the room? He's uh, No, he's not banned from the room. He'll get in here in a minute. I might have to open the door because there might be too much of an echo in here. Is there too much of an echo? I just want to make sure it sounds okay for everybody out there. I, to- I already told you it sounds horrible. What are you worried about? Who cares? This is as okay. low tech as it can get. We're doing what we can to paste the show together, and we keep moving on, complying with all relevant stay-at-home orders. And go ahead, drink from your mug. That's your signature right out of the gates while we're talking. That big, giant mug with your big, giant football head, and then there's your real big, giant football head. And I swear you got a haircut. You have denied this I did this not to get me. a haircut. I wouldn't do You cut do your that. own hair. No, and I definitely wouldn't do that. I can promise you. I'm not cutting my own hair. The wife's not cutting my own hair. And I'm not letting any, I'm not letting my, you know, my, my hair cutter, who I like a lot during this time, he might have germs. I'm just not letting him touch me. You know me. I'm a germaphobe before this pandemic. So you know what I'm going to be like now. 
Yeah, uh, well, I can only imagine. And uh, I can only imagine going into yesterday with Tom Brady and Howard Stern we're going to talk about. Let me just say this first, because this dance has been happening with Howard Stern and the rest of the media, because on his show the other day, where he actually played a clip from this show, he was amused and a bit flummoxed by the fact that people in sports talk radio actually were so obsessed with the fact that Howard Stern was going to be interviewing Tom Brady. And it was a funny little bit. Look, Howard Stern is the master. Howard Stern is the greatest radio broadcaster of all time and the greatest interview I have ever witnessed. But what we are doing now is falling right into the trap because we're going to spend time to bookend the time we spent anticipating the Tom Brady interview by Howard Stern, talking about what was going to be discussed. Now we're going to spend time talking about what was discussed, and we opened the show with Tom Brady telling Howard Stern he probably knew before the start of last season it was his last year. Did you detect anything from afar that Tom Brady was behaving like a guy who knew he was in his final year with the Patriots? Well, I, I had heard rumors. I had. And, I, you know, again, uh, I'll say this. One big sign to me was, I believe, the end of October when Adam Schefter went on ESPN and gave a big, long report how he didn't think Tom Brady would be back with the New England Patriots in the, the next year. And that was the first thing I remember hearing going, wow, Schefter wouldn't come on TV and say that unless he's hearing that from somebody very, very reliable. Now, Added to that, Mike, I mean, with the OTA conversation and, and Brady not attending OTAs, the, what was it, the last two seasons? You know, Mike, what, what did anybody expect to happen there? Did they really think, like, Bill Belichick was going to be like, oh, okay, starting quarterback, no problem. Don't come to OTAs anymore. Everything's good. So to me, that was the most interesting part of the whole interview. That told me right there that was the start of the end because, as you know and as you can imagine, Belichick, New England, they want everybody there working, being detailed, doing the New England way. And Brady wasn't there. And I got to imagine that was kind of the start of the end right there. Al Michaels was on Lunch Talk Live with Mike Tirico yesterday, and he repeated a comment from Tom Brady as the Patriots were preparing to play the Ravens last season at a time when the Patriots were 8-0, and Tom Brady in the production meeting told Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, I'm the most miserable 8-0 quarterback in the NFL. And Al joked yesterday that he still thought the odds for Brady leaving were 43,000 to 1. And ultimately, we know what happened. Brady left. Let's hear a little bit more from Tom Brady yesterday with Howard Stern. Brady regarding who gets the credit for what has happened in New England over the last 20 years, him or Bill Belichick. It's got to be somewhat annoying when there's always this question, Tom Brady, greatest of all time. But if he didn't have Belichick, he wouldn't have achieved because Belichick is the brains there. I don't think I think it's a pretty argument, actually, that people would say that because, again, I can't do his job and he can't do mine. So the fact that you could say, would I be successful without him the same level of success? I don't believe I would have been, but I feel the same in in vice versa as well. To have him allowed me to be the best I could be. So I'm grateful for that. And I very much believe that he feels the same about me because we've expressed that to each other. You know, I'm always probing for BS when people are giving these kinds of answers, but I actually believe this and I buy this. I get it. The way Bill Belichick was, the way that he is, gets the most out of his players. The players who submit 
to the Patriot way. If you're not going to submit to the Patriot way, Bill Belichick's method for pressing buttons won't work. But if you are all in with the way they do things, Belichick knows how to get the most out of you, and he doesn't get it out of you by praising you. He gets it out of you by being demanding, by having a high bar, and by constantly needling you the way Bill Parcells handled your dad back in the day. No doubt. I mean, again, you know, he's, he's the general, uh, you know, the general of the battleship. He wants to make sure everybody's on their P's and Q's. Nobody's, nobody's getting a free pass or a pat on the back at times. Hey, good job. You're doing wonderful here. No, he's going to keep you on your toes. He wants to keep your competitive juices flowing. Yes, he played games like that. I don't want to say games like that. It's just he knows what it takes to make players compete and play at their highest level. And I think that's the big thing. And I agree with Brady in a lot of ways. I mean, listen, do I think Tom Brady, um, you know, I'm going to give Bill Belichick more of the credit. You know that. But do I think if Tom Brady would have won Super Bowl somewhere else with another team that at least had somewhat of a supporting cast and a good coach? Yes, absolutely. You know, but do I think Bill Belichick is, of course, the mastermind behind the, you know, architect of the, the New England Patriots and what they are? Yes. I mean, you talk to Chris Collinsworth or Al Michaels or Phil Simms or Troy Aikman or Tony Romo, anybody that's been following the NFL uh, as far as like broadcasting games, they would tell you when you walk into New England, things are done a different way. It's a different feel. It's a different vibe. And that was set forth by Bill Belichick. Brady was the perfect, perfect, you know, what do I want to say? Sergeant, Sergeant General to be on the field with the troops daily, carrying the message from the coach into the locker room with the players, and that's why it works so well. It's kind of like the old-school parenting approach, the withholding of emotion by the dad, right? The withholding of praise by the dad, the constant expectation to do better, be better, live up to a higher standard, and the fear that if you ever say, good job, son, Son's going to get soft, right? Yes. I mean, that, that, that's what it is. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, how many times, you know, I know I've said this to you before, but, you know, I, I know the one thing I learned when I was working there in New England is the Patriots coaches felt like Wes, Wes Welker played better when he was pissed off. So they made sure they found a way to piss him off on a weekly basis. I mean, that's what they did because they knew they were going to get the best Wes Welker come Sunday. And yes, that's, you know, that's the job of a great head coach. It's not to sit there and be your best friend all the time. It's to get the most out of you. And I think Brady will appreciate it more, and Belichick will appreciate Brady more when this is all said and done. You know, but I think, you know, the other thing, when we go back into, like, you know, the when it was at the end, right, and I talked about the OTAs earlier, you know, that I would think before the year there was some talks about, con- you know, contract. I'm sure Brady got a feel for what New England was willing to give him as far as money-wise. He probably was like, whoa, I don't like that. And then he's also going, man, this has been a 20-year grind with the biggest curmudgeon in the history of the NFL. And I think all those things led to him knowing there was a good chance he was going to leave after the 2019 season. And one other point, too, and not to psychoanalyze Tom Brady here, but you and I have had the conversation in the past that his reputation for always taking less money than he could have gotten didn't necessarily have its roots in a desire to be a team player that was going to be surrounded by a bunch of great teammates. It was his constant fear that someday Bill Belichick was going to wake up, look at the balance sheet, look at how much money is devoted to the quarterback, look at where the quarterback currently is, 
and make the very dispassionate, cold decision, sorry, we can't have this guy anymore. We're going to go with his backup. We're going to find someone else. And I think after 20 years of that fear, he may have gotten to a point where he decided, I'm going to jump before I get pushed. Because at some point over the next few years, Father Time is going to diminish my game to the point where I am going to get pushed. I, I, I think so, Mike. I, I think there is something to that. Yes, I was always led to believe that it wasn't Tom Brady volunteering for, oh, I'll take less for everybody else, that it was an ultimatum, more or less, in a lot of ways by New England. Like, no, this is what it is. You could take it. We're going to build a good team or we'll move on. And, you know, I, wh- whether they would have done that or not, I don't know. But yes, you were right. That would lead to the detention, the exhaustion of a player constantly having to prove himself on a daily basis and probably did want a little bit of a pat on the back or a pat on the butt to just go, hey, man, Tom, you're doing a great job. But that's just not Bill's way. And now, you know, Tom, who's a great competitor, he gets re-energized and gets to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and prove to people that, hey, I could do this without Bill Belichick and he's certainly going to be the biggest show in town and in the NFL. Anytime Tampa's on TV, it's going to be a huge deal. And, you know, and Belichick, I don't think, is going to take it personal, Mike. I, you know, Belichick is too much of a curmudgeon. It's, I don't think Belichick's going to get on the bus after a game and go, let me see what Tom Brady and, and Tampa did, where I can maybe see it being more the other way around with Brady paying attention to New England, uh, you know, just because Belichick is so driven and always on to the next task. I was sufficiently impressed by Tom Brady's explanation of what he could have done without Bill, what Bill could have done without him, what they managed to do together. It passed the BS meter test for me. The next yeah. topic we're going to share with you, though, I, the BS meter is pinging a little bit on this one. Let's hear some more from Tom Brady with Howard Stern on Wednesday. I never cared about legacy. I mean, I, I could give a shit about that's never I never once when I was in high school said, man, I can't wait for my, what my football legacy looks like. It's just not me. That's not my personality. So why would I choose a different place? It's because it was just time. I don't know what to say other than that. Like I had done everything. I accomplished everything I could in two decades with an incredible organization, incredible group of people. And that will never change. And no one can ever take that away from me. No one can ever take those experience or Super Bowl championships away from us. I don't buy for a second that Tom Brady doesn't care about legacy. We all care about legacy. Legacy motivates us in many different ways. You don't win six Super Bowls if you don't give a bleep about legacy, Chris. Well, yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I believe him in the fact that I don't think he was worried about legacy in high school or college or probably even the early days of his NFL career. But once you win three Super Bowls, and then people start to talk about, ooh, if you win more, one more, you're with Joe Montana and Terry Bradshaw. And then he lost two Super Bowls in a row. And it looked like, oh, my gosh, Seattle's on the two-yard line, and they're going to lose a third Super Bowl in a row. How could this be? Yes, I think he became legacy aware towards the end of his career. And that's not a bad thing. You're right, Mike. I mean, of course, you should be. You know, It's part of the competitive nature of any great athlete. Uh, but I think the thing that I love about Tom Brady is, yes, legacy, surely important to him. And we know that. I mean, he wouldn't have been taking pictures of, you know, six rings on Twitter last year with Julian Edelman. But at the same time, he's like the most selfless, selfless quarterback of a star team as we've ever seen. And that's where I really do respect him. I mean, 
Yeah, he was willing to not, you know, kick and scream for taking less. And he did all the things that Belichick wanted to do on a daily and weekly and yearly basis. And that's where Tom Brady is really, really special, let alone, you know, his toughness and his great right arm and his ability to to deliver in the clutch. He's, you know, arguably the clutchest quarterback in the history of the sport. I don't think there's any denying that. I just don't believe that in that stew of motivation that prompted him to go from being a sixth-round pick, 199th overall, if you haven't heard, to being the greatest quarterback of all time, that consideration of legacy wasn't there every step of the way. Joe Montana was his hero growing up. He wanted to be Joe Montana, and I know he said yesterday he won't say whether or not he was better than Joe Montana. He's better than Joe Montana. He he one-upped or two-upped, as the case may be, his his idol and that surely was part of what drove him every well, step of the way the Scott Pioli story about seeing him in the practice bubble on a Friday night when no one else is around that's just not proving people wrong for failing to draft him that is establishing a legacy better than the guy you grew up idolizing no I mean no doubt about it but you know it also like you talk about the the Joe Montana thing and I agree with you Brady's better than Joe Montana yes and obviously with the Super Bowl wins too. But there's another perfect example of, you know, sometimes it's just bigger than two people too. You know, Bill Walsh retired and the 49ers went on to have one of the greatest seasons in the history of their organization, maybe their best team ever. You know, Joe Montana left the 49ers and all they did was go to NFC Championship games and then won a Super Bowl. So, you know, it's bigger than two people at times too, even though we're in this era of pitting two guys next to each other. My biggest BS meter moment, Mike, was when he talked about, and again, I I don't want to sound insensitive, but the fact that he couldn't go to OTAs because he had to be around his wife and his family more. You know, that's where I went, oh, I don't know if I buy that. I think you might be sticking it to the New England Patriots with that stuff. First off, OTAs are not a long, grueling day, Mike. The day starts at 8, you're home by 1245. It's not like you can't spend time, and then there's what? How many of them? 12 of them? 14 of them? So that to me was a BS um, answer, okay? And I know he's a good family man and a good husband and all that. I'm not denying that. But I think that was the start of him kind of sticking it to New England for the years of, hey, not patting me on the back, not paying me the money. I'm not going to go to OTAs and I'll use my family as kind of an excuse. That was the one that kind of went up on my BS meter. Yeah, I think you're getting ahead of yourself because I think we're going to be talking about that later in the show. And I disagree with you. I disagree okay. with you on that. But we're not going to get into it for now. We want to Fine. stay on track. We want to stay on schedule. My bad. <laughs> let's take. A, let's, that's all right. That's all right. It's always your bad. We're going to take a break. When we return, um, the virtual draft is approaching. There are still some more technical issues and concerns that the NFL is going to have to work out in the next 14 days. We'll tell you what some of those are when PFT Live continues right after this. Peter King mentioned in his 11,000-word-plus Football Morning in America column on Monday that the NFL draft will include a charitable component, and the NFL announced the plans on Wednesday. Six different organizations will benefit from the efforts by the league to raise money for COVID-19 relief, a great use of the platform that the NFL will have, surely the highest-rated draft of all time. And it will be a different draft than we've ever seen for a very important reason, the ongoing pandemic. So the NFL doing the right thing by using that opportunity to raise some money. But there are still questions, Chris, about this virtual 
draft. We talked about it yesterday. And another thing that emerged on Wednesday from ESPN, the concern that you've got all of these IT workers who are scurrying around to get the homes ready of coaches, general managers, owners, etc., so that the draft can go off without a hitch. Well, there are people who are in their homes who don't necessarily want the IT guy or the IT gal showing up in their homes and maybe entering with the coronavirus. And the IT workers don't necessarily want to go into a home that may be rife with the coronavirus because of that very real dynamic with this virus that people can be walking around with it with no symptoms at all. So that's a concern. That means they got to find a way to figure this out in a manner that properly addresses those concerns because those are legitimate concerns by the human beings who are involved in this process. Yeah, you're I mean, you're right. Big time concerns. You know, Mike, I got two friends in the coaching world that I've been like FaceTiming with and stuff. And I can tell you that them and their family and their wives and, you know, the wife is the real head coach of most NFL coaches families because she's the one that's got to be there and, you know, run the house while the the coach is coaching the football team. They're taking this COVID-19 pandemic serious, serious lockdown. Like they put me on the grill at times like, hey, Chris, are you being good or how serious are you guys being with the lockdown? They want to check in on us. So. I get it. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I would feel comfortable about a, a guy that I know. Yes. Hey, NBC technician. They talked about it coming here at first to hook up something to, to make better for the show. I wasn't thrilled about that when they first said that. I was like, what? I don't know if I want anybody in my house. So they got to figure that out. That is a very real component. And uh, I would be concerned if I'm an IT guy or a coach's family. It's That's a tough one. Yeah, see, on one hand, the NFL doesn't want technological issues to be an excuse for teams failing to get their picks in on time. And on the other hand, the NFL is moving heaven and earth, or at least trying to, before the draft to ensure that there won't be any technical problems. And there is a balance there. And there are going to be certain things that they just aren't going to be able to do because you ultimately have to, look, the stay-at-home orders that are preventing people from going to the team's facilities in most of the states where the NFL does business, those same stay-at-home orders, if you read them and apply them the way that they're written, they prevent an IT person from leaving their own house and coming to your house. It's one thing to go to a team's facility to do necessary work there, but entering someone's house and having someone in your house, these are part of the reasons why these stay-at-home orders are in place. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. And, you know, Mike, the other thing, too, you know, this is they're getting a trial run in this stuff right now as we speak. You know, all these coaches and teams are having Zoom group staff meetings where they're talking about the draft and they're going through it. And the coach is sitting at home, you know, with 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 his video board and he's watching film with coaches while they're on Zoom paying attention. So they've got a little head start here as far as you know, how to run this. And I think at the very least or at the very base level, if we can't decide on the IT guys going to anybody's house, that should work. And then when it comes time to the pick, Mike, I mean, is it against the law? Can we just dial a number on a hard line and say, hey, Roger, hello, ring, ring, ring. And then we don't have to worry about too much technology on that standpoint or from that standpoint. So, you know, I think there's a lot in place as is right now. One of the points that was made recently on NFL Network, and this is 
a dynamic that is in place for every draft, an open conference call with all teams and the league office that never hangs up, that is your ultimate fail-safe. If the technology doesn't work, you get on the line and say the New England Patriots take so-and-so with the pick that's currently on the clock. So they have plenty of of redundancies built into the system. They have plenty of fallbacks in place, but there are some practical impediments to getting everything to where it needs to be. And one of those is this concern about the IT workers being in people's homes. Um, I spoke yesterday with Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager. We're going to play some of that interview for you later in the program. And these issues, part of what I discussed with Brandon Bean, you'll hear him on those topics. One last point before we take our next break. And, you know, we're constantly looking for any signs, any evidence, any clues as to when football could be back. There are some optimistic voices and then there are some pessimistic voices. And in Santa Clara County, where the 49ers stadium is situated, the Santa Clara executive doesn't expect sports to return until Thanksgiving. Now, there is a long history of acrimony between Santa Clara and the 49ers, and I wouldn't be surprised if a local politician is taking an opportunity to just kind of stick it to the 49ers a little bit. Nobody knows at this point when football is going to be back, when sports are going to be back, but the people who are in these positions of assessing and predicting and estimating, going on the record, suggesting it won't be until Thanksgiving that sports can return. These are things we just are paying attention to as we all try to figure out, number one, when the world will be somewhat normal again, if it will ever be normal again. And number two, when football will be back, when it can be back. And that's where the Santa Clara County official has chimed in. So we file that away and we continue to search for more information, Chris. But the bottom line is, at this point, no one knows. No, nobody knows. You're right. We're just going to play it by ear and hope for the best. That's all we can really do. And man... I don't know what the hell we'll do with each other until Thanksgiving if there's no football. I mean, I'm going to go crazy if I got to wait that long. I don't. I, I mean, I really am. I'm having a hard time at night as is right now. You know, I love reruns and history of sports and everything like that. But damn, I could use a live NBA game or a Major League Baseball game right now to tune on and watch. I mean, would love to watch my Yankees. So, yeah, we just got to do the right thing here right now because we don't want this pandemic to get – Outbreak number two comes September and October when the weather gets a little colder again and all of a sudden we're sitting here going, oh, man, what did we do? It's worse this time around than the first time around. You know, so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic right now, but I'm not I, I'm not putting too much, you know, investment into it. At some point, we're going to get you hooked up with the Madden game, and you and I will play the games and then we can break <laughs> them down the next day. And you will get to be – Chris Sims with the 73 rating, and uh, I'll be Kirk Cousins <laughs> Thank with you. the 84, 85 rating, and we'll have some fun. All right, speaking Thank of you. Kirk Cousins, he plays in the NFC North. Our division-by-division division draft preview is going to continue with the Vikings, Bears, Packers, and Lions when PFT Live continues right after this. Last one. It's not a question. It's a request. Oh, gosh. In honor of the seven-year anniversary of the Percy Harvin trade, I want you to look into the camera and say we have no intent to trade Stephon Diggs. Will you do that for me? (laughs) Stephon Diggs is a Minnesota Viking. That's That's good. That meant absolutely nothing. He is today. May not be tomorrow, but that's all right. 
Oh, how true that ended up being. That was Rick Spielman with us a little more than six weeks ago at the scouting combine before the world turned upside down. The Vikings turned upside down offensively with that trade that sent Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills for a first-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and a sixth-round pick this year and a fourth-round pick next year. So let's start on our NFC North draft needs, Chris. The Minnesota Vikings cannot leave the draft that begins two weeks from today without what? Oh, oh, yeah, baby, man, Mike, your Minnesota Vikings got a lot of work to do. All right. That's the first thing I know for sure. I mean, what, I mean, what an off season so far, but I think the thing I look at more than anything with Mike Zimmer, all right, it's debatable, Mike, what is it? It's a DB or a wide receiver that jumps out to me. It's one of those two. And I would say they got to come away in this draft with a DB. I mean, losing, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Wayne, Xavier Rhodes, all gone. Mike Zimmer's a defensive coach. You know, I got to think that's priority number one for this Minnesota Vikings team that has a bunch of holes to fill in their roster right now. Yeah, look, I think they'll be fine at defensive back because Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman do a nice job of finding talented guys wherever they may be, including a Holton Hill who was undrafted, and coaching them up into better players than maybe they would have been. I'm comfortable with Mike Hughes and Holton Hill, assuming that Hughes can stay healthy and Hill can stay on the right side of the league's substance abuse and other policies. He got a PED suspension So you're not comfortable with them. You can't be that comfortable with them. You just said it. (laughs) Well, well, but I'm comfortable that the Vikings will find guys somehow, some way who can come in and be coached up and play. I'm far more concerned about the offensive line, Chris, because the thing about Kirk Cousins is very simple. Kirk Cousins is adept at running the play that is called. When the world begins to crumble around him, Kirk Cousins is not skilled when it comes to improvising, when it comes to the second play. You know, with Patrick Mahomes, there's the play that they want him to run, then there's the play that he later decides he has to run when the first play falls apart. Kirk Cousins doesn't have that in his tool bag. So the offensive line needs to hold together long enough to let Kirk Cousins deliver the football to whoever is open. And I'm not concerned about the receiver position because they love B.C. Johnson. Adam Thielen is still one of the best receivers in the NFL. Irv Smith, tight end they drafted last year. He can step up as a pass catcher this year. Kyle Rudolph is still there. They'll be fine if Kirk Cousins can deliver the football to whoever is open. The key to me is the offensive line has to be good enough to allow Cousins to do it. And I still think that the offensive line's a work in progress. Well, yeah, it's not the best offensive line in football. That's for sure. I, you know, and yeah, I hear you. Improvements need to be made uh, for the future and depth and everything like that. But it's still a solid unit. I mean, they could run the football and Kirk Cousins, you're right. He's not going to be that type of guy. So it'd be interesting. I'm actually shocked that you went that way. I thought you were going to want to want to replace Stefan Diggs and get a receiver in the draft, Mike. Now, look, they have found their best receivers late in the draft or undrafted like an Adam Thielen. Every time they roll the dice on a first round guy, a high round guy, it ends up being a disappointment. So I'm not saying they shouldn't draft any receivers. I just don't think that it's top priority with those two first round picks. I'd use both of those first round picks on offensive linemen. All right. The Packers can't leave the draft without what? Uh, A speed receiver. Can we please give Aaron Rodgers a speed damn receiver? Okay. I mean, when I look at the Packers, the only thing I really look at, okay, on their team, hey, yes, offensive line, 
you know, they're going to have to watch and, and start building that. Bakhtiari is going into the last year of his contract. They got to upgrade or, there. Or and Bakhtiari. Stuff. Or Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari. Bulaga's gone. So there's things like that. Would I like to see them get bigger in the middle of their defense? Sure. But I know a speed receiver. Yes, they need somebody opposite of Devontae Adams. I know they signed Devin Funches, and I like that because Rodgers can throw to big guys, and he's a great back shoulder thrower. But they need a guy that scares defenses and opens up Devin Funtish and Avante Adams and lets Avante Adams run all his nuanced route running. So that to me, I mean, I've been starving that for that for, for Aaron Rodgers for six years now. So I would like to see that happen. I agree with you there. Nothing more for me to say when it comes to the Packers. The Bears can't leave the draft without what? Yeah, the Bears, you know, it's an interesting discussion. The defense is fine, in my opinion. Maybe they could use a corner, but I think they got some corners there. They signed Artie Burns. They got a kid, Tolliver, who's really good, opposite of Fuller. You know, I think that they're okay there. They might need some depth. I think the biggest thing with the Bears that is unimpressive to me is their tackle play. Their tackle play last year was horrible. You know, they got some good guys in the middle uh, as far as Daniels at guard and Cody Whitehair, who play, they're both kind of a guard center combination. But they're tackles who just, yeah, they're getting up there in age and they didn't play that well. I know they signed Jermaine Effetti, but I think tackle is the biggest thing going forward for this Bears team. They got to come out with one in the second or third round of this draft. They don't have many picks. You say all the time that quarterbacks get too much money, they get too much praise, they're too much focus. But here's the thing. When the quarterback doesn't play well, the quarterback gets dumped on when the reality is maybe he's not playing well because he doesn't have any time to the man, execute Mike. the offense. Right? The offensive line needs to be there for Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles, whoever ends up behind center for the Chicago Bears. All right, the Detroit Lions can't leave the draft without what, Chris? So you were agreeing with me with the Bears thing. You think yeah, it's offensive I'm, I'm line agree- too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, and they couldn't run the ball. It was crap. Um, all right, the Detroit Lions, I, I mean, this is an easy one, too. Matt Patricia, he's a defensive head coach. Their butts are on the line there this year. They were the worst pass defense in football last year. They lost Darius Slay. They need cornerbacks badly. They need an elite cornerback. Now, I don't know if you take one at pick number three. I know a lot of people think, like, they might take the Ohio State kid, Okuda, at number three. I'd be a little scared with any corner that's an island corner that runs in the high four fours. Uh, I don't know if that's worth number three. I think the Lions could be a trade down team, but cornerback and multiple ones, Mike, I think have to be on the radar for the for the uh, radar for the Lions for as bad as their pass defense was last year. And of course, we know they want to play a lot of man to man because this is Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia defense. I want impact player up front, and where the yeah. Lions are drafting should put them in position to get one. I'm. I'm tempted if I'm the Lions to trade down. Yeah. But but I don't want to blow the shot at getting somebody who can come in and be a difference maker right away. It's kind of what Ron Rivera was talking about with Washington. With the second overall pick, you can get a great player like a Chase Young. You trade down, do you get that player who's going to come in, make a huge difference, a, a Nick Bosa type of a difference right away that can transform a team? That's what the Lions need. They need one guy who was going to yes, come they in do. and have the kind of impact that Nick Bosa had for the 49ers last year because that's the that's the guy who's going to save jobs in Detroit because the heat is on Matt Patricia and GM Bob Quinn in 2020. All right, let's take a break. When we return, I spoke with Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager yesterday, on how they plan to keep Stephon Diggs happy. We'll play some of that for you next right here on PFT Live. 
Last year, the Bills added John Brown and Cole Beasley in free agency. This year, the big trade for Stephon Diggs, one of the topics that I discussed yesterday with general manager Brandon Bean, who made that trade. Here is some of my chat with the fourth-year Bills GM. Private workouts, no in-person meetings, no visits from players. Which of those three things is the is the biggest one, the hardest one to lose as you prepare for picking players coming up in a couple of weeks? You know, um, you go. I go back and forth. I really miss the 30s. You know, the guys that we can bring into our facility and just uh, let a let a lot of people in our building touch them, so to speak. From uh, the guy who picks them up at the airport to um, you know your PR staff to the coaching. Uh, your trainers, just, you know, one of those things I like is I spend 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes with the player, but he's there all day. And so I'll circle back with a lot of our staff and just how was their interaction with him? Was he personal? Was he professional? Was he on time? Did he communicate well to our travel staff? You know, just learning who this individual is beyond who they are in front of me or, or Sean McDermott. That's one of the things that fans don't realize and players don't realize, especially when they're early 20s, when they get in the car right? From the airport to the facility, whoever's driving is listening, watching, paying attention to everything, and will report back on how that individual behaves. And it's amazing how few of those guys are prepared to be the same guy that they're going to be when they show up in your office and, and to be that same person when in the backseat of the vehicle being chauffeured from the, the airport to the team's headquarters. No, it's fun. And, and you know what I've found is sometimes the guy picking them up, uh, up at the airport or the hotel pick up one or two other people with him and, and see who interacts with him, who doesn't even want to talk to him, you know, who's griping about their coaches from their college, uh, who's happy with their agent or not happy with their agent. Just, you know, is a certain player, is he complaining about any, everything or is he just appreciative of the opportunity? Those are the little things that uh, we probably will lose in this process. When the draft begins in 15 days, you won't be making a pick in round one unless you trade back in. You've given that first-round pick to the Minnesota Vikings as part of the Stephon Diggs package. What will you be doing the first round of the draft since you're not going to be on the clock? Well, I joked again, Mike, with the media the other day. We may put up some Stephon Diggs highlights or something. Just uh, <laughs> I'm looking at, at that as, as our pick because um, you know we talked about what would be available at 22 and, and again, decided to, to trade some assets um, to move up. So again, I'm looking like Stefan is our pick and, and we're, you know, we'll, we won't be in round one, but, uh, we'll be ready for round two on Friday night. Well, and Brandon, here's the point I made a couple of years ago when the Cowboys traded for Amari Cooper near the end of his rookie deal. The reality is you give up a first round pick for a player who is a veteran and is on a second contract in Diggs' situation. I mean, you've got him for four more years, but it's relatively high salary. And at some point he's going to want to reopen that deal and get himself a raise. What's your policy on when you will go back and redo a deal that has multiple years left, in this case, four more seasons left on the Diggs contract? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those things, if you trade for a guy, sometimes you do make, uh, you know, an agreement uh, with a player I've, I've been involved with before where you trade for him and you say, hey, we we will do something to the deal now. We'll do something to the deal in, in a year or whatever. So, again, those are discussions that, you know, we'll keep between us and the agent and the player. But, um, you know, we do think, you know, that was attractive to have Stefan under contract for four years. And that was part of, of why we made this move, uh, you know, to try and acquire him. And, and we just, at the end of the day, Mike, we thought that, um, you know, with the offseason being, you know, either limited or no offseason, what we would be able to get at pick 22, um, 
might have a harder time coming in helping us this year versus a proven veteran like Stefan. And from time to time, Stefan had, I don't want to say issues in Minnesota. I mean, look, every receiver wants the ball, and sometimes when they don't get the ball, they get upset. And I think the Vikings did a good job of keeping that under control. It could have been worse. We've seen other situations where it has been worse. What did you do, Brandon, to get to the point where you were comfortable that Stephon Diggs isn't going to be any type of an issue, any type of a problem in your locker room? Well, I mean, obviously you never really know, Mike, until you get him in there. But, um, you know, our scout, our college scouting director, Terrence Gray, uh, was in Minnesota when they drafted Stefan and, and was around him for a year, I believe. And and then w- we have some coaches, at least one uh, on staff that's that's close with with one of Stefan's college coaches and and knows a couple people. So we did some recon. And um, again, you know, I understand the question. I think it's fair. And, and, and you alluded to it. Um, receivers want the ball. And sometimes uh, they express that and it, it can come across in the wrong way. And again, we, we feel good. We think he's a very competitive young man. Uh, my understanding is he trains very hard, practices, he raises the level of competitiveness at practice, and, and I don't think you can have enough of that. And, you know, I think our culture, you know, will be good for Stefan, and, and we look forward to to bringing him in. I know Josh Allen is, has been communicating <clears throat> with him a lot, and those two are looking forward to uh, getting together and getting on the same page. The full interview with Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, is available at NBCSports.com, YouTube.com slash NBC Sports, and the PFTPM podcast chris a point you made via text message during the interview when you were in new england you were the guy that had to go pick up the prospects at the airport there was a few guys that i had to go or or veteran free agents right because they felt like oh hey chris he played football in the nfl these guys will know him maybe they'll loosen up a little but that's a very real aspect that goes on a lot hey go pick him up at the airport pick his brain on life Pick his brain on, hey, what visits has he been to? Where is he thinking, you know, might draft him, whatever it may be. And, you know, to your point, you'd be shocked at how many guys are kind of still relaxed in that setting as compared to when they walk in the facility and now they talk to the coaches. And you usually got a good, you know, two or three tidbits out of the conversation. I told Brandon Bean, now that the word is out next year, it's going to be like guys <laughs> yeah. have been read the Miranda warnings. They're going to get in the car and they're going to say anything to anybody or at a minimum, they need to act accordingly. And it's a bit right. like when you're, when you're young, you don't think of that. You're overwhelmed by the moment. You're traveling for the first time. You, you, you're not, you're not equipped to realize I'd have been the same way. I'd have been like, oh, this isn't the real interview yet. I'm going to say whatever I want to say, and then I'll be, you know, what they expect me to be when it's time to go in and sit down and meet with the boss. But uh, that's one of the ways that teams find out what these guys are all about, and that isn't available to them this year. All right, let's take a break. Another day, another new uniform unveiled. Do the fans of the Atlanta Falcons like the new look that their favorite team will be sporting in 2020? We'll discuss that next year on PFT The Atlanta Falcons joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in unveiling new uniforms. On Tuesday, it was the Bucs. On Wednesday, it was the Falcons. Those are the old ones. And here are the new ones. Four different combinations. The the numbers a little funky on the base uniform. The red jersey actually fades to black as it approaches the black pants, which is a different kind of a look. And then on the far right, the old school Dirty Bird Atlanta Falcon look. Uh, and Chris, we, we put out a poll question. No push poll. 
No, no effort to try to influence anyone. Do you like the Buccaneers uniforms? One question. Do you like the Falcons uniform? The other question. And right now, as of uh, a moment ago, it's a it's a mirror image. 68-32. Yes for the Bucks. No for the Falcons. So as much as people love the return to the pewter Buccaneer uniform, there is consternation over this new Falcons look. Why, though? You know, I mean, I, I just don't quite understand it. First off, this is what I want to ask you. Is, is what is going to be the normal home jersey? Is it going to be the all-black look? Or are they going to wear that red, two-toned, red and black look? That's what I, I wasn't sure. What is the main home jersey? Do you know that? I, I assume it's the – I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. And, and I can't I, say that I care. But uh, I, I think the reason people don't like it – it's the numbers. That's where this whole Nikeification of the NFL goes off the rails. They feel compelled to come up with a unique font for every team. We had the stupid LED alarm clock numbers for the Buccaneers, and now you've got this, this rollerball-style look for the Falcons. And, and when Nike took over the contract back in 2012, uh, we have the item at PFT. They said, oh, no, they're not going to push teams to constantly change their uniforms. And what's going on? Teams are constantly changing uniforms. There's five teams this year. They're going to have new uniforms. Are you kidding me? What's the purpose of buying a jersey if they're going to change their uniforms every three or four years? Yeah, well, that's the way that's the way the world is. I mean, yeah, is owners it, are trying to make money. Is it? Well, Wait, yeah, the in Packers, this day and age, the Packers don't change their uniform. The Cowboys don't change their uniform. The Steelers okay. don't change their uniform. They're so, in a very rare the group. Patriots, I was going to say the <laughs> Patriots don't, but they're changing theirs this year too. Right. Well, there's like, you know, yes, you know, the, the teams you mentioned there, the Raiders. Yeah, those are, you know, staples, mainstays of the NFL. They have great history. Atlanta doesn't have that history. I like these uniforms. I don't know. I mean, I, the numbers don't bother me. I don't like the red and black two-tone jersey. I think that's the worst thing about it. But that all white look and the all black look, I think are pretty special looking. Black on black, I'm told, will be the default home look for the Atlanta Falcons. That would not be the case if they played outdoors in Atlanta, but indoors in a dome, they don't have to worry about baking under the uh, the Georgia sunlight You're an old in man. You don't like New Jerseys. I want the I old like jerseys. Classic, back I in like my classic day, they tried and true. We'll be same. right back. Shut up. <laughs> Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.